Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Dark Pages from the Old Attic. Where we tell spooky stories. Yes. Are you ready? Yes. All right. And I am Ella, and with me is Clara, of course. All right. So last time we talked about the names on the stories we read and uh, how we might be able to contact these people if they are real. Yes. And today's story was apparently recorded from someone in Denmark, not far from here. What? Really? Did you find the main character? And not only that, it was recorded in 2014. So the person might actually be on the internet. Might? You never know. Well, you do know. Well, it turned out that the protagonist is indeed on the internet. Enough chit-chat. Clara, did you find them or not? I did. Long story short, this is her number. Should we try calling her on the podcast? Well, of course we should. Live action drama on the podcast? Ghost detectives on the case. All right, here we go. Hi, to Hannah. Uh, uh, hello, Hannah. Uh, my name is Clara. We're calling from the Dark Pages podcast as we're recording. We read the ghost story you recorded with Agnes. Do you remember Agnes? Six years ago? What? Yes? What's this? We are doing paranormal research. Can you tell us about your ghost experience? Did you have any other since your first encounter? I don't want to talk about this. Uh, sorry, uh, this is a bit straightforward. Uh, you met Agnes. Uh, do you know why she wanted your story? Well, Agnes contacted me, kind of like you just done. She had seen my post on the Real Para Stories forum and wanted the full story. But why, though? I thought she was collecting them for a book or something. But when we met, she talked about research. So I guess she was also a paranormal researcher. Mm. Runs in the family, I see. Did she say why she was researching it? She said she was just curious about the subject. But, you know, truth be told, I think she lied. But I didn't press the issue. I just told my story, got my coffee, and that was it. So, did you have any supernatural encounters since then? Do you actually believe in this? We are open-minded. Okay, but no. But let's just say I try not to look too deeply into water these days. All right. Well, thank you for talking to us, Hannah. Is it okay if we use this conversation in our podcast? Sure, go ahead. Awesome. Thank you. Have a spooky week. Um, thank you. Bye. Bye. Interesting. That was so exciting, Clara. We should make more ghost calls. Yeah, we should probably also get going with the story. Yes, I'm still so hyped, but I'll try to find my melaconic voice. Okay, okay. In the zone. In the zone. While you do that, I'll just recap that this story was recorded in Aalborg, Denmark, in 2014 from Hannah. Who we just talked to. Yes, and the code thing on this story is L1G, just so you know. And the story is called Lady at the Pond. Teaching can be very rewarding, especially when you have a pupil who's interested in your subject, which, for my part, is art. However, it can also be quite stressful when the age of your students is 
mostly below 10. I'm not saying it's the sole reason, but it might be partly responsible for my habit of getting as far away from home as my old car can take me as soon as the summer holiday begins. The year this happened, I had driven almost as far south as I could get, deep into the southern Italy, to a camping site in the wooden hills near Cosenza. With me, I had my trusty tent of many years and a carefully selected set of camping gear, along with a haphazardly chosen pile of books and, perhaps most importantly, my trove of art supplies. The camping site itself was situated along a lake and it offered magnificent isolation and plenty of hiking opportunities. It was going to be a well-deserved break. The first day I spent settling down, pitching my tent and organizing my stuff for the week and thought I did my best to keep to myself. It was impossible to avoid greeting the neighbors. There was a couple from Switzerland and a group of friends from Sweden whom it took quite some effort to extradite myself from so I could get back to what I come for, being alone. I did a few watercolors during the evening as the sun set over the hills which I planned to use for postcards later in the week. About halfway through the week, I was out hiking along a brook up into the hills. In my bag was a bunch of paper, a selection of brushes and some watercolors, and I had every intention of finding a good spot to capture some natural beauty. The sun was out, the sky was perfectly blue, and the leaves on the trees shone with green life above me. As I walked, I tried to figure out how to best capture the exact hues and shades of the leaves. And all the while, the trail carried me further and further into the quiet landscape. At one point, the path left the brook, climbing a cliff ridge, while the water flowed by down in the gully below. It never quite left though, with the babbling water always visible between the trees. Suddenly, the trail emerged onto the ledge clear of trees and shrubs. And hoping for a view worthy of depiction, I went over to the edge and looked over the precipice. I could hardly have wished for a better scenery. Surrounded by tall trees was a pond at the foot of the cliff, from which the brook I had followed flowed off into the shady forest below. On the opposite side of the water was a small waterfall spilling into the pond, sending gentle ripples across the glittering surface. It looked like a sacred place, and I could easily imagine ancient Greeks and Romans coming here to receive the blessing of the local nymphs. It wasn't a deep pond. I could see several rocks looming just under the still surface, and it only added to the allure of the scene. Settling down near the edge, I brought out my brushes and colors and set about preparing some small tubs of water. When everything was neatly set up, I began my work. I exaggerated the shadows a bit to give the scene a greater sense of scenery. And when it came to the water itself, I had a long pause, nibbling at the end of my brush in contemplation about how to best capture the depths of the water. After some deliberation, I decided to try with some reflections first, following them with some visible rocks and finally filling out the rest with some dark color. Before committing to my plan, I took another long look at the pond, trying to seal it in my mind. And that's when I noticed something that made my hairs on my arms stand up. At first, I was sure my eyes were playing a trick on me, but when I leaned forward and squinted, holding up a hand to shade the sun, I saw I was right. One of the rocks under the surface was in fact 
not a rock at all. The pale stone, given a slight greenish tint by the water, was a person. I could make out their face and slender shape of their body even from up here. I waited for them to surface, but I had already been here for perhaps ten minutes. It seemed unlikely anyone could hold their breath that long, and with a cold sense of dread I realized I was probably looking at a dead body. When my initial stupor was subsided, I knew I had to call the authorities, but before I made the long trek back to the camping site to borrow their phone, I decided to have a slightly closer look just to be sure it wasn't some freak coincidence of light and shadows or something. I didn't want to bring the police all the way out here if it was a mistake. With my painting supplies packed in my bag again, I went back down the trail to the point where I met the brook, and here I went off to the path and back up towards the pond, this time following the running water. Not before long I saw the glittering water of the pond behind the trees ahead of me, and I felt increasingly reluctant to proceed. My steps were noticeably shorter when I finally emerged from the trees onto the rocky shore of the pond. I had never seen a body that hadn't been dressed by a mortician before, and I was afraid what the thing in the water would look like up close. I considered turning around and just letting the police deal with it, but I managed to press forward. Gingerly I moved closer to the water's edge, peering down below the gentle rocking surface. I recognized some of the rocks I had seen from above and used them as a guide in my search. And there it was, something pale under the water. But I had to get a bit closer to be sure. The pebbles of the shore crunched under my feet with every dragging step until I could see the face. It wasn't a rock. It was a woman. Beautiful, I thought, and pale. Even her still hair was white as snow as it hung around her face and slender shoulders. Her feet was pointing towards the cliff where I had sat, and I felt both sad and sick at the same time. She looked so young. Despite myself, I couldn't help but notice her dress. It was white as her skin, but looked ancient. Not like a century-old ancient, but literally ancient. Like she was dressed as a priestess of some temple of antiquity. Why was she dressed like this, and how had she ended up here? That would be for the police to figure out, I supposed. I stopped at the water's edge and looked down at her. There was no doubt and my heart felt heavy. Whose daughter was she? Whose sister? Whose friend? How long had she been missing? She looked untouched, except perhaps the paleness of her skin, like translucent marble. I blinked, and then I couldn't hold back a laugh as a relief floated me. It was a statue. I felt blessedly silly and shook my head, but at the same time I had to admire the artist who had created this incredible work. It would easily be the main attraction in almost any art museum, and yet here it was, in a pond. I didn't understand how it could be so untarnished, but maybe there was something about the frigid water, the minerals of the area and such that preserved it. Or maybe it wasn't as ancient as I thought. It could have been placed here in modern times, perhaps as a mysterious art installation. Or maybe it had been stolen and dumped here and never recovered. As I looked, a breeze rippled the water and the waves warped and bent the pale face under the surface. 
I frowned as the disturbance made it look like the statue was opening her eyes. But it had to be an illusion of the wobbly surface. When the water calmed down again, I could see her eyes were indeed still closed. Shaking my head, I went back to the top of the cliff to get started on the painting. But because of all the walking back and forth, it was getting dark before I could finish it. I had to come back the next day. Something was strange when I returned. As I sat down with the half-finished painting from the day before, I noticed the underwater statue seemed to be in a different place than on my paper. If my watercolor rendition was correct, it had moved to the left and turned slightly so its feet still pointed towards the overlooked cliff I sat on. It seemed unlikely anyone would come out here at night to move it, so I put it down to an artistic compromise I must have made the day before and then forgotten about. For a while I was completely engrossed in my work, moving and adding color with delicate strokes of my brush. It was nearly done only needed a few final details and maybe some highlight. I didn't hear the person coming up behind me before they spoke right behind my back. Sally. It sounded like a name and I jumped with fright at the sudden noise. Confused and a little mad, I turned to see who was shouting at me. It had sounded like maybe half a dozen of voices and my first thought was a group of tourists. How they had stuck up on me, I didn't know. So I turned, and there was no one behind me. The clearing at the edge of the cliff was empty all the way to the trail, and I could see nothing under the shade of the trees beyond. I stood up to better look around me, listening hard for footsteps or rustling in the woods that might tell me where the people had gone. But all was quiet. Even the birds had stopped singing. Could I have imagined the sound? I didn't think so. But what other explanation could there be? No matter what, I felt like leaving and I stood to pick up my art supplies so I could get going. As I did, I caught sight of the statue down below. And despite the distance and the wavy surface of the water between us, I thought I saw her eyes open again. Logically, I knew it was either a trick of the light or an uneasy mind. But once you jumped at one shadow, Jumping at the next is easy. I hurried up, packing my stuff, eager to get away. And then the statue sank. I wasn't looking directly at it when it happened, and it was nearly over before I could. So fast was it. Rabbit, as if someone had yanked it down from below. As far as I'd seen, the pond wasn't deep, and the water was quite clear. So I wondered how it could have gone completely out of sight. And more puzzling was the fact its sudden movement made no ripples in the water. You'd expect at least some amount of turbulence if a life-size statue moved that quickly under the surface. But the water was as calm as the waterfall would allow it. I ran down the trail and turned back upstream as soon as I could, coming up to the pond the way I had the day before. On my way to the spot where the statue had been, I picked up a bright white rock and tossed it into the water. It landed in the dark void left by the statue, sank rapidly and settled on the bottom, still visible to me. I blinked, and in the wavy water in front of me, I could see the reflection of the precipice behind me, on which I had painted. I didn't want to be there anymore. I ran back, 
following the brook of the trail and hurried onwards back to the campsite. That night, I slept restlessly, swaving on the edge of dream and wakefulness, never sure if it was one or the other. At one point, the barrier between dream and reality was so thin that I think I woke up, and right above my head was the pale face of the statue, floating so close our nose tips nearly touched. I frantically waved my arm at it, trying to ward it off, and it was gone. My tent was stark and empty. According to my watch, it was a couple hour past midnight, and I ought to got back to sleep. But the encounter with the face still had my heart racing. So instead, I sat up and took a drink of my water bottle. It took a while, but eventually I noticed how bright it actually was outside my tent. Not like daylight, but at least a full moon, though I was pretty sure the next one was a few weeks away. There was a lamp at the camp office, but unless it had had a new bulb, it wasn't this bright. I could easily see my hand in front of me, silhouetted against the side of the tent, and even the print of my shirt was perfectly discernible. I zipped open the front of the tent and crawled outside to see what was going on. The campsite was dark. Even the sweets had gone to bed. The only light source I could see was the faint lamp in the distant office and the blinking stars in the night sky. It was all quite misty, with wisps of fog swirling around me as I emerged. I thought it had crept in from the lake, but when I stood up, I realized it was pretty much only hanging around my tent. And somehow it seemed to glow as if it was bathed in the light of a full moon, invisible to me. I tried stepping away from it, standing with my hands on my hips and watching the strange mist cling to my tent. Why? Or rather, how? It did it, I couldn't tell. And before the answer could emerge in my mind, the mist slid off my tent and began rolling across the grass towards the woods of the outskirts of the camp. At first, I followed it with my eyes, utterly baffled. I'd heard of balls of lightning moving in strange ways, so maybe this was some weird phenomenon I was unaware of. Before I reached the trees, I was falling on my bare feet, swishing through the damp grass. Part of me wasn't surprised when I realized the mist was heading for the start of the trail leading up into the hills of the pond. As it reached the tree line and the path, it swirled around and rose up to form a vaguely human shape. I expected the shape to collapse back into the mist, but it didn't. It stood there, somehow suspended near the trees, barely visible in the darkness. After a while, it began moving again, this time up the trail. It was too strange to turn my back on, and so I went for it. It felt like a dream. It was so quiet and the faint light of the slim moon was only enough to show the world around me in its vaguest and most shadowy form. It was even darker once I reached the trees. I could barely make out the path, and only the pale mist up ahead gave me a sense of direction. It moved onwards, stopping once in a while and swirling, as if turning around to look back at me. We followed the trail up the ridge, eventually ending at the cliff overlook above the pond. The mist hung close to the edge, still in its vague human shape, 
and now that I could get closer, I sensed elusive details in its pale form. Slender shoulders, and maybe long hair falling down between them. A cold breeze swept through the woods around us, but while it tugged at my hair and picked up dead leaves, the mist was undisturbed by it. I moved a bit nearer, and when nothing happened, I ventured another few steps until I practically stood beside her. Or it. Below us was the pond, a dark mirror with glittering surface. Sally, I heard a woman's voice whisper next to me. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up. But given a wisp of mist was speaking to me, I was awfully calm. Perhaps it was the crushing sadness in her voice. I couldn't help but feel sorry. A part of the mist swirled out towards me, and only for a brief moment was it coherent enough to resemble a hand before losing its shape again. The woman's voice came again, but this time it was a bit different. It sounded something like, Sally, Timikum. Then the mist leaned forward, and I nearly moved with it before catching myself. She didn't, and the mist plunged from the cliff like a brick. It struck the water with no sound and fell through the surface without a ripple. It stayed just below the water, but while it had been wispy and undefined above, here it was sharp and clear. I could easily see her white hair floating around her head and the ancient but beautiful dress flowing from her shoulders. She waved at me and... Again, I had to stop myself mid-step. My bare foot crunched the pebbles on the cliff's edge. And still, the woman in the water waved at me. It felt terrible just to leave her, and I struggled to move my feet back. It felt like the slightest breeze might knock me off the edge. Beads of cold sweat had formed on my brow, and I bit my lips, trying to will myself out of the strange apathy. At long last, I managed to shift my balance backwards, and I stumbled a few steps away from the edge, relief floating me. I could still see the pond, and now the woman was no longer waving. She just stared up at me from the dark void around her. I'll come down to you, I shouted to her, though I doubted she understood Danish. She just looked at me, and I turned to follow the path down the brook. When I made it to the shore of the pond, she was nowhere to be seen. A gentle breeze sent ripples across the dark water, and the waterfall continued its internal babbling. I don't know how long I stood at the water's edge waiting for her, but she never showed up. Eventually I went back to camp, looking over my shoulder once in a while to see if a mist had appeared among the trees, but it never did. I stayed up the rest of the night, watching the trees from my tent until dawn broke and the warm light returned over the wooded hills. There wouldn't be much sleep for me that week, but I did stay and try to find out about the history of the area. Apparently, the water that flowed down from the hills and through the pond came from a spring that had been considered sacred all the way back to early Greek settlements in the area, and had remained such even beyond Roman times. I couldn't find any information on the pond itself, apart from the fact that it was a popular stop on the trail for hikers. I told the story a few times already, but not this detailed. I think if you add too many details, people think you might actually believe in it.
I hope this will do for you. Well, there you have it, Hannah's story. Did you notice some similarities? Yeah, I hate to admit it, but we have that water and ghost things again. Also, it reminded me of the first story we did, the one with the dancing ghost on the frozen lake. Yes, exactly. And that one was recorded by... Maya Svensson from Sweden. Which can only mean... It's a Nordic thing. A Nordic... Ghost. Nordic Lady Ghost. Nordic Lady Lake Ghost. Nordic Lady Dweller. Nordic Deep Dweller from Forgotten Swedish Folklore. Alright, I think you've had enough ghosts for now. We'll end here, but join us in two weeks when we return with another haunted story from this old attic. Probably something with a lady in water, since it's a theme now. Actually, no. Next time, we're going to Korea. To a haunted asylum. Ah, damn. Now I want bimbimbap. Anyway, have a spooky week. And be careful of Nordic deep dweller Lady Lake ghosts from forgotten Swedish folklore. Bye. Hey, do you want to get some bimbimbap? I know a great place. Sure, why not? I never tried it before. <gasps> That's a crime. Now we have to go. Today's episode of Dark Pages from the Old Attic was written and voiced by Zoe and Vicky Suvang and with special guest Clara Youngmark as Hannah. We release a new episode every other Friday and you can head over to our Instagram at Dark Pages Podcast for updates, teasers and illustrations for each episode. If you wish to support us, give us a rating and review on the platform you're listening to the podcast. And don't let your friends miss out on the spooky times. You can contact us on our Instagram or our mail darkpagespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you in the next episode.